How would you, this is maybe a little simplistic question, but I, I think if I remember correctly, um, I believe you wrote that Jefferson was um, one, of, one of the few college students that didn't go to college to party. And um, <laughs> he, took, he took college seriously. Um, yeah. How would Jefferson view today's American college scene? How, what would he, if he would look now and say, wow, look at what so many institutions, so many different institutions would say, this is great. Would he say, well, colleges, they're still party schools. They're just, you know, they're still party schools. Uh, they're still human beings. It's, um, <laughs> there, there's a lot, there there there's a lot that goes on in college. And when I was in college, I participated in a pretty full range. Uh, they're young people. They're figuring things out. Uh, they make a lot of mistakes. And but the, the young people that that I, I, because I'm a teacher and I, I I get to know a bit about them, I, I'm very impressed by their. They have fun, but they also have a seriousness, a seriousness about learning, about improving themselves, about doing things to help other people. I'm, I'm really very impressed by most of the young people that I meet. And I think Jefferson would be too. He would be just astonished at what a radically different society we live in and, and the institutions of higher education are radically different. I mean, UVA had, Jefferson designed it for 218 students. Uh, the UVA of today has thousands of students. It has more faculty, it has three times as much faculty members as, as it had students back then. Uh, and there's a specialization to education. So there are uh, a chemist and a, you know, somebody who does Latin literature and somebody who does history and somebody who does architecture. They're, they're specialists teaching all of these things and they don't teach the other fields. And Jefferson was a great generalist thought, you know, you could bring a professor in and they could teach four or five fields. And they kind of had to because he only had uh, uh, seven or eight faculty members. So uh, the way that knowledge has expanded in ways where it's impossible for a single mind to comprehend even a fraction of it would have, in a way, Jefferson would feel vindicated because he thought that knowledge was progressive uh, and, that it, and that it needed to be critical uh, and it needed to challenge tradition and needed to be open-minded to new possibilities. So I think he would be very pleased with the universities on that score. It would astonish him the size of the institutions, the specialization of the students. It would astonish him that there are women going to colleges. I believe there are more women than men going to college in America today. Uh, that No women went to college in his day. It would astonish him to see African-Americans in sitting in the same classrooms with white students and everybody getting along reasonably well most of the time. Uh, so, but... So beyond that, I, it would be hard to predict what Jefferson would think, whether he would think that the, the changes from his day were deviations or if they were improvements. But I, I'd like to be optimistic that Jefferson would actually look at the whole thing and think it's great to have a country where so many people are receiving some form of higher education. Was he trying in the university um, to create that Renaissance person? Like like he was, I, I had did some research on, on the book that I wrote um, on Alexander, and, and Alexander spent three years with Aristotle, 
and they, yeah. he he learns everything. I mean, it was yeah. both sciences, ethics, philosophy was one person giving over all of his knowledge. It was Jefferson's vision of creating a Renaissance person as well? I think it was. I mean, he understood that, that people would would end up having some kind of focus, but he wanted. So, for example, he, he required that you had to have be able to read Latin to both enter and then you had to show an improved ability to read Latin to graduate. And this is a requirement that's there for people who are studying law and studying uh, chemistry or studying mathematics and people were expected to um, you know, not just focus in one area, but have some breadth. So, so Jefferson did believe that all knowledge was interconnected and that you might not understand at a specialist level every one of the things that are available to study, but that if you understood the connections between them all, that you understood the connections between mathematics and architecture and law, then you would be a better person and would be better capable of governing your state. Let's move over a little bit now to um, religion. Just Mm -hmm. by way of background, um, Jefferson's personal religious beliefs, where where was he on that issue? Well, Jefferson... um, is someone who's very critical of traditions. So he's critical of existing forms of worship, which in his world are overwhelmingly Protestant Christianity. Uh, The predominant form of that Protestant Christianity in Virginia he grew up in was um, Anglicanism, which we now call Episcopalian. It had government support and people were taxed to support the Anglican churches in Virginia. And uh, Virginia was organized into parishes, which were political units as well as religious units. And and Jefferson felt that this was a system that needed to be shattered so that uh, people could have free choice in where they went to worship. There was a a fair amount of conflict in the Virginia of of his young adulthood where uh, evangelical groups, particularly Baptists, but also Methodists, were competing with the Anglican churches and and resisting being taxed for those churches. So Jefferson um, believes in a separation of church and state so that the, the, the government will not play favorites. He believes in a free competition of religious groups, which for him, he, he expects they're going to be Protestants, are going to be the compelling groups. Um, there were very, very few Jewish people in, in Virginia. Uh, very few Catholics, but a bit more than Jews. Uh, so, so Jefferson just, but is, is imagining that it's going to be kind of a Christian country, but he, not an evangelical one. He's willing to do a partnership with evangelicals uh, in order to take down the Anglican establishment. The evangelicals are doing this because they're trying to clear the way for their own ability to compete more freely. And they, they think they're, they're going to take away believers from the Anglicans. And in fact, that's what happens. Jefferson thinks that out of all of this competition, that eventually people are going to settle on the 
rather tepid form of Christianity that Jefferson came to favor, which um, was sometimes called deist, which is to believe that that God is the prime mover in things and he designs a perfectly rational universe. Uh, in that conception, Jesus was just an extremely ethical man who was an inspirational teacher, but not himself um, divine and not capable of miracles. So Jefferson uh, took the Bible and clipped out all the things that seemed supernatural to him. It seems kind of weird to do that to the Bible, uh, principally the old, the New Testament. So you've got a, a Jesus that, that says inspirational ethical statements, but doesn't, doesn't walk on water and, and doesn't turn water into wine. Uh, it's a kind of Jesus that Jefferson believed in. And, and he felt that this was the form of Christianity and it, it, it becomes uh, known as Unitarianism. And Jefferson's a great believer. He says Unitarianism makes the most sense. And he said, there isn't a, a young man who's coming into life in America today who won't end up a Unitarian. It's, Jefferson can say some wonderfully absurd things. Uh, and he seems to believe that, that, that this kind of pure rationality is what people are looking for in faith, which it, it seems absurd to us because that's not what people are looking for in faith. Other than that Jefferson's looking for that, but all, very few other people are. Uh, so, so Jefferson had a disconnect. He had a difficulty understanding people who approach religion with, um, with true faith and true passion because Jefferson's approach to it is extremely dispassionate. Um, are there any, um, does Jefferson mention Jewish people, Judaism, anything about that um, in his writings? And, and again, without comparing him to Washington, certainly, you know, Washington's visit to the Turo Synagogue in Rhode Island and the subsequent letter was a landmark in terms yeah. of integration of church and state by a, a totally different religious group that wasn't, didn't have a lot of people as you said at that time. Where's Jefferson? What, what's his attitude of views? If, if he had well, I'll, I'll confess, this is not a question I've looked at really closely. So I, I will be hesitant in what I have to say. My impressions are two things. One is it's quite clear that Jefferson was appalled by any legal restriction based on religious belief. Absolutely appalled by that. And there were such restrictions on um, Jews in America. Uh, no, they're, they're not by the federal government, but they're, they're by state and local governments. Restrictions on whether they could go to college. And, and Jefferson is quite clear. There will be no such restriction at UVA. Now, we, we might think this is a small thing, but it was a big thing at the time because the other colleges, I mean, good luck if you're Jewish going to Harvard. You're not going to get in. Um, but you, he's, he's absolutely insistent. But, and and I, I recall vaguely one letter that's written to him by somebody, you know, saying, you know, are, are you going to welcome Jewish students at UVA? And he writes back very clearly, absolutely. Uh, now, Jefferson uh, is a, a he, he reads religious texts. He reads the Koran, of all things. So for very few people that read the Koran who were not themselves practicing Muslims. Um, who were very few in America at that time. But Jefferson reads it very closely. Uh, he reads the Old Testament very closely. He, uh, 
he had an intellectual interest uh, in in this, but but I think he he didn't really have sympathy for the Jewish faith per se, because it is it's it's so reliant on tradition, which is so so opposed to. So the notion that you could adhere to a faith that was thousands of years old that had uh, uh, quite specific codes of behavior, which, uh, which Jefferson would regard as irrational behavior. Um, he, he thought of it as superstition. He thought of it as something that, that people would evolve away from eventually, but that it wasn't helpful to be imposing uh, restrictions by, the, by a government or any institution to bar such people from uh, receiving higher education or any form of education. So I would say Jefferson, because of his habits of mind and his own prejudices, which were intellectual prejudices rather than ethnic or religious prejudices per se, but he 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 he, he writes terrible things about Presbyterians, for example. So it's he's he doesn't have a great deal of sympathy for people who have a, a passionate engagement with a religious faith which is very old. It's just for his own particular um, personality and his intellectual engagements, he, he doesn't understand that. He, he just doesn't understand it. And, but he does understand the, the pernicious nature of restricting people based upon their faith. So, so if, if a person of color or if a Native American would knock on Jefferson's Door, and Jefferson would let him in, and this person would start speaking to him in Latin and quote philosophy and quote all the greats of, of the past, and Jefferson would recognize that this person is brilliant, and this person would say, I would like to attend your new university. His answer would be, sorry. No. <laughs> no, sorry. Absolutely no. Uh, so, this is not, again, not one of, Jefferson had some wonderful points. <laughs> we're we're, we're no, 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 focusing no. on those areas where, where, where Jefferson is, is, um, is harder for us to sympathize with. One of the more negative things that Jefferson does in his intellectual life is to denigrate African-Americans with intellectual achievement. So it's brought to his attention. Benjamin Banneker is a a very skilled mathematician who has uh, created his own almanac. And uh, Jefferson writes a snippy letter back. Banneker writes to him, you know, a very polite letter. And other people write who who are sympathetic to improving the conditions for African-Americans, write to Jefferson, say, how about Benjamin Banneker? because you have written in notes in the state of Virginia that you don't think that African-Americans are capable of abstract thought or of artistic achievement. And uh, he ends up writing dismissive things about Banneker. Well, how about Phyllis Wheatley, very accomplished Christian poet, uh, the 1760s and early 1770s in Boston. And George Washington went out of his way to praise Phyllis Wheatley and as a genius. Jefferson goes out of his way to say it's insipid 
Now, of course, Jefferson doesn't understand the, the Christian faith that, that Wheatley is expressing, a kind of emotional engagement with that faith. But he also, he, he's trying to say that, and he literally says this, you know, look at the enslaved people of, of Rome and look at all the great geniuses that used to be slaves, and you can't find that among African-Americans. Well, there are a lot of problems with that statement that we pointed out at the time is that enslaved people in, in Rome, many of them were well-educated people when they were taken captive and put into slavery, and they're given responsibilities um, uh, on a par with their educational level. People who are kept in slavery in Virginia are kept as ignorant as their masters can possibly keep them. Uh, so it, it's not a fair statement by Jefferson, but it's a statement that he, he plays a kind of game. He says, well, this is what I think, but I'm open to evidence of, to the contrary. And then people present him with evidence to the contrary, and he finds ways to say, nah, not really. That, that's just such an exception. It doesn't really count. How, how do you challenge young people, your students today, to... to have this balanced to understand the complexity of a person like Jefferson and how they sit, um, you know, by looking at, you know, we talked about some of the negative things and obviously there's so many positive things and the writings are so powerful. Mm-hmm. Just take the writings you might, or selected writings, you might say, this is incredible. How do you, how do you deal with the complexity of it? And how do you try to give that over to students about a person like Thomas Jefferson? Well, I would say it's tough, and it's not just tough with young people, it's tough with our entire culture, because we live in a culture, and you see this in in Hollywood movies, Uh, you see it in popular history, you see it in what politicians have to say in their versions of history that they convey. It's hyper-simplistic, it's good guys and bad guys. Uh, You're either good or you're bad. Uh, and that's a conditioning that's very tough to change. So I'm, I am doing my best in my writing and in my teaching to say, to be a human being is a very difficult thing. Uh, and societies and cultures are very powerful and people are conditioned within them. And then people also do their best to, to push against them in, in, as, as they can. But as a result, it, it's very hard to find somebody, particularly who we can look back on 200 years later and sort them into good guys or bad guys. It's like, and that's not very interesting. Um, I, so I've, I've written a book on the American Revolution, and because I don't treat the British as villains all the time, uh, there are people who say it is a pro-British book. Well, no, I'm just treating them as in the same way that I'm treating people who happen to call themselves Americans. And a fair number of those Americans were loyalists. And then there were native people. So there were enslaved people. And everybody's a human being and everybody's just trying to cope with difficult circumstances. And people make decisions and say things that sometimes seem now in retrospect to be noble. And sometimes they seem not so noble. And the same people are often on both sides of that divide in what they say, what they do. Uh, and if if we understand that, that, that all these human beings are connected to one another, uh, who live in the same time, in more or less the same place, and we can see that they're interacting in ways that um, are unfair to some people, 
and um, benefit uh, some people more. Uh, and that it's very tough to change those things. It's not that they're not worth changing, it's that they're tough to change. But if we recognize that, then we can understand them a hell of a lot better. And we can stop turning them into cartoon figures uh, of our own projection backwards, that they're either doing the things that we want them to do, and they're the foundational ancestors that we should worship, or they're the devil. I don't find that interesting. I don't find it helpful. I don't think it, it reveals very much about the situation we're in now or the debts that we owe, good and bad, to the people who preceded us in this great republic. This, this is, has been fascinating and insightful. I know we've only touched the tip of the iceberg here. Um, again, um, Thomas Jefferson's Education, uh, highly recommended, um, easy to purchase. And Professor Taylor, thank you so much for your time and, and your, your insights. Uh, very much appreciated. Thank you. Well, well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the conversation.